0: Hi, welcome to What Chance? I'm your host, Karin Elias. This podcast is about people who have been to prison. It's about their life before and after prison. I talk to educators, social workers, activists, and the formerly incarcerated. I want to find out what happened. Are some people at higher risk? Of going to prison and what is it like to reintegrate into society what does the justice system and society really care about punishment or rehabilitation come join me my guest today is Max Elias who happens to be my son. He is currently in a master's program at Freie Universität in Berlin, Germany. And for one of his classes, Current Topics in American Politics, he had to write a paper and he chose the title Without Police, We Can Be Safe. Abolition Now. Hi Max, welcome.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I wanted to talk to you about this paper because what happened recently the country and not just the country but the world closed down because of COVID-19 and then in the U.S. on top of that we saw protests because there was an event George Floyd was killed by a police officer and it sparked outrage and people started to protest and the protests are still going on but at the time this was probably a very current event for your paper.
1: These are you know, both a current event and not a current event at the same time. I guess to some extent the movement coming out of it is a current event. But the general pattern of police violence, and especially police violence against African Americans is Unfortunately, the furthest thing from a current event imaginable. And it would also be a mistake to think that the protest sentiment that came out of George Floyd's murder was a current event because that feeling had always been there. It was never really a question of do people care enough to protest. It was will law enforcement finally do something so preposterously out of step from what they say they exist to do, that will start to act on their feelings.
0: Right, so we'd have to mention that George Floyd was African-American, and this was not the first person who had been killed by the police. And I think along with these events, We would also look back into history and ask ourselves, what is actually the role of the police and when did the police as an institution come into being?
1: I don't think you can really understand the problems people have with the police. As an issue of altercations with individual police officers and individual police officers needing to be disciplined, I think it's necessary to take a longer view of why the system exists, what it supports, what laws enable it to exist the way it exists.
0: So as I read your paper, I noticed that you mentioned something about in the South, police was established in connection with slavery.
1: Right. In the South, in the pre-Civil War era, the police were slave patrols, essentially, so they would look for runaway slaves, and police, non-runaway slaves, while they were in the city either on leave or doing errands for their owners. It was actually fairly common for African American slaves to have some freedom while they were in cities. And so what slave patrols would do a lot is they would try to find wherever slaves were gathering, let's say, maybe like an underground coke or slaves who were attempting to educate themselves and they would go and they would break up those meetings because the Southern social hierarchy was such that you couldn't allow slaves to gather themselves or to learn or to really do anything to change their status.
0: It does sound like... That's a very specific function of the police that really serves the interest of a small group in the population, meaning the plantation owners, right? Did the police do any other things? I'm sure
1: they did. Like, I'm sure that if someone was, like, a serial killer and happened to longer, cast a slave so they probably wouldn't get something. But whatever non-slave-related functions they perform were ancillary, I guess, and at work entirely besides the point
0: What was the rest of the country like? Because we do know that slavery happened in the South, it did also happen in the North Maybe not to the same extent, but was there a police in other areas of the countries while the South had police as slave patrol?
1: Northern police came along a little bit later in early mid-1800s, uh, and that came from the police force in London, which, similarly to the slave controls, was also a mechanism for control before it was a mechanism for actually helping keep people safe. It was labor unions and immigrant workers and... Of protection of crockery and capital, what they would do is sort of break up strikes, try to infiltrate unions so that they could get into meetings and destroy from within and form on the union worker activity. And so then, particularly on the East Coast, like Boston, New York, Chicago, that idea of policing was brought in full force as a reaction to the very, very large waves of immigration that the cities were experiencing much larger than the immigration to the u k The impact that they had and the severity of their actions in the north and in the United States in general is so much larger.
0: It sounds like to me there are some similarities in terms of in whose interest is the police acting so when we see in the south it was the wealthy plantation owners and slave owners to protect them and their interests against slaves and probably other white people who were poor and then in the north similar again it sounded like when there is a wave of immigration and union movement, there must be something that people feel is unjust. So instead of addressing the issue with the people, the wealthy came up with the idea of let's have a police that suppresses these really? movement. so there seem to be some similarities and then, if we move up in history at some point slavery was abolished what happened to the function of the police because it sounds like they should have been unemployed at that
1: point well in the south yes definitely but remember in the north it was never really explicitly connected to slavery so uh, also something I forgot connection mention was that Uh, Northern police forces, labor unions, destroying workers' rights, all those things. But also, a big part of what they did was enforce morality clauses. Because essentially, you have these large waves of immigrants coming in who have different hobbies, different pastimes, different cultures that white Protestants don't appreciate. Look down on as vulgar. So, you know, ordinances prohibiting gambling, prohibiting drinking, prohibiting things like women wearing not. Fully gaudy covering clothing All things that well, I don't think were actually Specifically endemic to immigrants Like pretty sure A decent amount of White Protestant Americans That gambled to It was framed in such a way That people were trying to believe That immigrants were the ones Doing these things
0: That's also interesting if we think about How the US portrays itself to the outside world nowadays as a country of immigrants though there seemed to have been a separation then already between maybe the first wave of immigrants which were white puritans and then the other waves that came later and we think the function of the police really has to do with preventing crime that doesn't seem to be how it started out i would be curious you know when the civil rights movement happened and after the Civil Rights Act, did all that racism that people experienced during slavery disappear?
1: You had mentioned something about how after slavery, shouldn't the police have been out of a job? And uh, in the North, it's not necessarily about slavery, but also in the South, they didn't go away. And what happened was, you had Jim Crow segregation laws, you had laws that were called the Black Codes, things that essentially criminalizing things like vagrancy, obvious things like theft, murder, unemployment. The law didn't say unemployed people go to jail. It might as well have, though. And so those laws were set up and also enforced in such a way as to victimize African-Americans. Even after slavery, you had a high calculation of African-Americans who were incarcerated. And while they were incarcerated, there were also things like sharecropping and uh, essentially a form of selling African-Americans as prison labor to work off their sentence. We do still have prison labor in the modern prison system, the legacy is intact, but essentially what these laws did was they made it so that slavery was illegal, but slavery still existed, and it was actually in some ways worse, both because no one really thought to challenge it until the surface there was nothing wrong happening. A lot of uh, African-Americans of the time and then scholars writing about what it was like for African-Americans at the time have described the conditions as actually being worse than those faced under slavery, which seems like it shouldn't be possible.
0: It does sound like slavery never ended in some ways, although maybe legally it ended, But now there are other systems in place that keep the discrimination going. But it seems that more African-Americans, especially men, are hurt by the police. If we look back, then we would say that it was always like that. The police was always targeting African-Americans and it never really ended. So now when we have these protests and people are asking for you know abolishing the police that worries some other people because they say well without the police what's going to happen to crime
1: and that's where we get to the other part of this which is that police activity and crime rate are not actually that dependent on each other or rather they are dependent on each other but not in the way that you would want them to be dependent on each other. So for example, currently the police make about 10 million arrests every year. However, they are not solving 10 million crimes every year. Not even close, no. At Crystal, as it turns out, only like 14% of all crimes get reported. Then you have to then ask yourself, why is that? Is it maybe because people don't trust the police? Well, why is that? Is it maybe because historically they're from communities that have been discriminated against by the police, and so now they find it difficult to place their trust in law enforcement. Seems like to right? And so then, now you have to wonder, what are the police doing then if they're arresting 10 million people or not responding to nearly the full array of crimes that actually happen? Because again, of those that get reported, those that get responded to is I think about half of it. That or, or, like, actually solved another about half of that. And the answer is that they're doing pretty much the same kind of stuff that they did back in the days of slavery and Jim Crow, where they arrest people, particularly the poor, particularly communities of color, and particularly, particularly African Americans, for little tiny things that don't actually matter but make it very easy to control a population like being found with marijuana or jaywalking or vagrancy in certain cases
0: and then the people that are arrested Mm -hmm. do they end up
1: in jail? Even if they don't end up in jail, most of these people are lower income people with jobs that make minimum wage or some variation of an hourly salary. And being detained and being forced to appear in court, they can't get out on jail. What jail? They need that money for rent, right? So being forced to do all those things appear in court can very often result in loss of dog. And when something like that goes on your record, most companies steal criminal background checks. That prior history of detainment even if it didn't lead to jail time. As such, means that, you know, it goes in your record, and so your employer Googles you, and they find that, you don't get hired, and now you're part of the unfortunately quite large number of Americans that are living in poverty. So, what
0: that means is then, because of this behavior of the police, people of color, and I think mostly. It's African-Americans who are targeted are further disadvantaged and discriminated. And so if they are sliding more into poverty, that would mean that at some point, might they not have many choices to find jobs and slip into crime.
1: Yes, poverty is the number one cause of crime. And... Modern policing doesn't accept this, right? Because if modern policing accepted it, then law enforcement or some other government body would be fixing crime by trying to lift people out of poverty. And except in a few places with, you know, progressive mayors, it's not happening. Modern policing tactics and philosophy goes back to the 1980s when you know, Reagan was Christian, and this guy, he was very, very racist, came up with the idea of broken windows policing, and it's a very simple analogy for something that's really not simple at all, which is the first red flag, so he did a study where you have a car with, you know, nothing broken, too condition, and then you have... A D-duck old, or not even d because the point of the study is that it can be like an otherwise perfect well-running car to just have one smashed-in window. And the study finds that people are overwhelmingly more likely to continue vandalizing the already minorly defaced vehicle and completely leave the shiny nice Ferrari with the new kink job. From that, he concluded that policing should focus on those minor violations because they also occur more often. So then, policing should focus on those minor crimes, policing should crack down on them heavily, and, most importantly, criminal instincts... And poverty are not circumstantial things. First of all, the fact that he thinks there's such a thing as criminal instinct is worrisome, because that's not what the evidence suggests at all. Criminal instinct and poverty are moral failures rather than circumstantial ones. And according to Grokalingo's theory, everyone has like a secret desire to go burn down the grocery store. So now you have this relationship where A, People in poverty are seen as unsympathetic figures because it believes that they're in poverty because they screwed up or because they're fundamentally bad people. And B, even for not poor people, even just in general, you have this relationship where the police see the public as the enemy, so they're not the protectors or the checkers anymore. They're the enforcers. The police are no longer the protectors, they're the enforcers. And it's a fundamentally antagonistic relationship.
0: And so now we have people who have been stigmatized before and pushed more into poverty, further stigmatized because now it's their own fault. And so now there is that picture that's revealed to society. Oh, look at these people of color, right? They don't want to work So now it becomes, not that the circumstances are against them, but they themselves don't want to better
1: themselves. That was the message throughout the entirety of the 80s, pretty much. And at least within police departments and similar law enforcement spheres, that seems to still be the message.
0: So it sounds like with this cracking down on minor crime... None of the problems that are the reasons for crime like poverty and probably education factors into Mm. this, none of that has been solved. Why do we really need the police? And is there a different approach we could take, which then would result in fewer crimes?
1: Right, so first we have to answer the question, is it a case of the police not wanting to solve this, or not existing to solve these problems, Or is it a case of police being well-intentioned, but misguided? I'm arguing for the first thing, where, you know, that's not why the police are here. And the reason I think that, other than all of history, is that there have been, like, independently begun programs that argue towards violence reduction and harm reduction that focus on things like having awkwardness in the community, building social networks within community... communities gaining trust of the community, and very importantly, clarifying to the community that they are not the police, because the community doesn't trust the police. Now, if you have a police force whose sole interest is bettering the lives of the community and solving the underlying conditions that lead to crime, wouldn't you be supportive of these programs? Now you say
0: I would say yes
1: Yes, exactly (laughs) Well, I guess whether or not law enforcement actually are supportive of
0: these things Well, then my question is These programs that were tried out, what happened to them?
1: Police did not support them So, one of them, Seasfire Chicago It was started in like 99 or 2000 And it Met with great success in reducing violence, and violent interactions between people in the neighborhood in which it was tried. However, they did not work with law enforcement and they withheld information from law enforcement. And eventually, they were carried by lack of city funding and such because, you know, the police department of the city has a lot of influence. And so the police department didn't like that these people were doing actually productive work, so they had to go. Sister Chicago is back actually now. It exists again now, but only because After the city got rid of it because of law enforcement pressure, they realized they made a terrible mistake because in neighborhood where Seaside Chicago previously was and now wasn't, rates of violence and murder and gunshot wounds skyrocketed like 40%, something crazy like that, in a very short time. So then they said, well, you know, sorry. The benefits outweigh the cost, So it's still there, which is good, but the story is still weird because they couldn't just see a positive solution and support it wholeheartedly. They had to capitulate to the police and then realize the hard way that the police actually don't really know how to reduce crime. And in the second such program that I talk about is Safe Streets in Baltimore, which of course is another city that's very, very prone to having issues with the police because of the high numbers of African Americans, other people of color, poor people. And so, Street's pretty much a clone of Seafire in Chicago, but the difference is The city of Baltimore is a big fan, the city council. So it didn't get funding from the same place that the police got. It got funding from the Baltimore City Council. Which is why even though the police, they don't have as much power to dismantle it because funding is coming from sources that they have nothing to deal with. They can't dismantle it. They can still try to disrupt it in other ways. For example... You would expect that, logically, a program based around community relationships and being in the community and having ex-offenders as staff members, because that's how you build trust and rapport and all that, you would expect that that means that sometimes these organizations would have to have contraband and things in their offices for one reason or another. The police see that and they uses an excuse to raid the organization offices and even in one case completely shut down a branch of the Safe Streets program. Also, a lot of the time these raids are the products of illegal searches, which is something the police also do to individuals, motorists, who are speeding. It seems that
0: a community approach can be very successful. Because there is trust, and we do see change when we involve the community. The problem is that because the police of its traditional functions doesn't like to lose that power and interferes. and then funding is an issue too, because could we fund these community programs in more places? We would probably alleviate poverty or lower education in some areas, That would help Uh. us with reducing crime because people could actually have jobs that can sustain their lifestyle. They wouldn't have to choose crime. They wouldn't end up in prison. And I'm thinking that probably it does something to their self-esteem. Because how do you feel when you constantly paint it as the person who is no good, who uh, is not willing to participate in a positive society, it must do something to your self-esteem.
1: One of the things that can cause people to get mental illness such as anxiety, depression, things like that, is stress. And being arrested for random things is stressful.
0: And probably not just to the person, because if a person is ar- yeah, the arrested, family and right, such and such. the family, the children are right. all affected. So the stress is in the whole community. And I think we see this. When we looked during COVID-19 that actually African-Americans were heavily affected by COVID-19. They got sick more often, more people died. Part of it probably because they were also in these essential jobs that we needed, you know, to keep society running, but also probably mm. their health was not as good because of the stress levels they have been exposed to. Something I want to address, so we have seen that a community approach can really work. I think it has been done maybe by more open-minded, progressive people in smaller areas, but broadly we hear discussions about police training. We need to change the training of the police That's been going on for a long time and I think there were new structures implemented. Has that had any effect?
1: No, unfortunately not. The commonly suggested reforms, you usually have three things. You've got trial reform, you have officer training, and you have accountability, so like body cameras and things like that. You went to training, so I'm gonna start with that. Officer training at police academy focuses mostly on the safety of the officer and that trains officers to be ready to take decisive action to defend themselves by any necessary means at a moment's notice a. Throwing your gun when you see someone's hand just sort of slip. mean, anyway, that's not great for anyone really because regardless if the officer in question is racist or if the person is black or white or X or Asian or Asian, whatever minority, ethnicity, sexuality they are. Individual officers don't have to have racial biases to do irreversible and terrible things because they see someone reaching into their pocket and they're trying to think kind, anyone they're interacting with puts a hand in their pocket, they have a gun and they're going to use that gun. Now you need to use your gun. So then officer accountability reforms like doggy cameras. I we wear a doggy camera still to turn it on. So I mean of course you can do it in a way I think there are doggy camera systems where the control over whether to turn them on or not rests with the chief of police or some guy in the IT department and you can try to remove individual reluctance to comply that way. People can still put like a piece of cake over the camera. Turns out, physical officers frequently don't have their cameras on during shootings. There was a shooting where six officers were present during the murder of a young African-American man, no one had cameras on. And then, even if they do have their cameras on, some studies have also found that the use of body cameras translates to more police violence. And this case scenario it has not really a statistically significant effect anyway. And then, the finally, we've got trial reform. And that's... The idea that maybe officers never get convicted because juries and prosecutors generally have good relationships with police officers. So if we have independent prosecutors, we'll have more police convictions. But that's ignoring juries and the role of the jury and the fact that cop culture... Negative experiences, etc., etc. Saying regular people can have a favorable opinion of the police.
0: I just had a thought regarding training. It seems that society probably has a slight favor towards punishment versus changing all the other structures. And so politicians like to bring up, we need police training. We need to change the way they approach people. Let's say even if that would work, it probably would take quite a long time to really sink in. And I'm saying also that it's not working. I think we see now since George Floyd, especially in New York and I think in some places in the Midwest, there have been changes made with regulations for the police. But since George Floyd, other black people have been shot or killed by the police and just recently... Somebody was shot, Jacob Blake. And that's in the midst of all the upheaval and all the discussion. And those officers did not have body cameras on. So to me, that says, the approaches that we have seen in community work are really our best bet. And if we would fund this, we could have this in many more places and see a result. But my guess is also that we don't see the result the next day it does take a little bit of time and the question is how willing is society to take that course
1: the community work approaches that i mentioned i took it up and i couldn't in to illustrate that the police absolutely don't care about making life better for people as much as they care about having control over people. Those approaches are specifically focused on violence prevention and bringing down rates of violent crime, but they don't address underlying poverty. They don't address education. They don't really concern themselves with the social conditions creating the crime. They just try and mitigate the crime. They're not perfect approaches either, because anything that is going to actually get rid of crime has to focus on poverty and education and mental health.
0: Right, and I think the term defund the police really would mean let's come up with a variety of programs and fund those and then address those issues of poverty and Mm. education
1: housing
0: right
1: yeah, yes. everything that's the underlying cause yeah that's what defund the police is trying to do defund the police sounds big it sounds gold it sounds aggressive and it is it wants big and gold it's not so much aggressive as it is sensible it would more accurately be called reallocate funds away from the police because it's not saying get rid of the police now we live in the post-apocalyptic wasteland go kill whoever you want no one will stop you but even the police is saying maybe if we spend money so that low-income people can have places to live and afford let's say not a nice suit to go on a job interview and get an internship in a law firm maybe they wouldn't to resort to stealing food from grocery stores caggy self mugging killing. So to
0: conclude this conversation, mm. what I see is the people who are worried about abolishing the police leaves us with a world of crime might listen to some of these suggestions of we can invest in community. And we can maybe give the police the job they should really have, but it might be difficult because historically the police had a certain role and sometimes it's harder to change that. It's easier to abolish and come up with a new structure. But so we might still need some institution that deals with like heavy crime, which there will be, right? You can never have 0%, but you can reduce it.
1: Given the police is not, like you said, not saying get rid of all police and get rid of all means of punishing criminals. Abolish the police doesn't even say that because people who argue for abolishing the police, we are aware that sometimes you'll have a serial murderer, sometimes you'll have someone who poisons his father for the insurance money or license insurance or something, those people need to be incarcerated and imprisoned. But that shouldn't be our default response to transgression. Under the framework of agilism, resorting to incarceration it's not something to celebrate like, Yay, hey, we locked someone else up. Like, you know, like it is now arrest numbers or badges of pride to cops. Uh, it's not something to celebrate, it's something to be a little bit ashamed of and a little bit causing the society to reflect on why was that necessary and can we do things to make it less necessary in the future. So there's that, and second of all, your point earlier ago, people would maybe be more likely to accept some of these things if it was framed yes. as empowering communities and funding housing prices. I think, to an extent, you're right if you frame it as let's reinvest in the community rather than the police are awful and terrible. But also, remember that it's not just the police that see poor people as poor. It's large, corporations portions of the general public, and that's why the police are been able to police the way they have because they cultivated that idea. So if you're someone who thinks that poverty is a moral selling, you're going to object to, you know, giving poor people easier access to housing that reflects their income status because you're going to see it as enabling poverty. I unfortunately am not super optimistic that you'll win over everyone just by reframing the issue.
0: Yes, I'm sure that we're not going to win over everybody. We don't need everybody. We need just a certain majority, right? And so this was a really interesting conversation and the way I see this is we're in the middle of this movement. We don't know quite yet how it ends. Right. We don't know quite what pathways are going to open up. But... I do think we all have a responsibility to participate in some way if we believe that we want to change society so that we do have inclusion, diversity, equal rights, equal opportunities for everybody. I
1: just want to say we're not in the middle. We're at the beginning. I mean, there's no way to know the exact time frame of this, but it definitely isn't gotten anywhere close to 50%. Because remember, and this is what people misunderstand about the terms defund the police, abolish the police, getting rid of the police is not the end of it. The end of it is replacing them with structures that actually tend to the needs of the community to address the social problems that cause crime. And that, honestly, will take longer than just getting rid of the police, because mostly because if we get rid of the police without making sure we have provisions for building new institutions in their place, we're just going to see new police who will probably actually, if anything, I can see a world in which the new police in that scenario would have more public support than the old police because people saw how lawless society was when there was nothing at all.
0: Thank you, Max.
1: You're welcome. Thank you. What
0: chance is created in New York? With cover art by Hernan Braberman and original music by Max Elias.